Hello, New York, and welcome to our listeners across the United States and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. We showcase New York City's history and also its extraordinary neighborhoods. Most shows focus on a particular neighborhood and explore their history, their vibe, their feel, and their energy. Really, what makes that particular neighborhood special? And we do it through interviews with urban historians, local business owners, artists, and interesting neighborhood personalities. Occasionally, I'm going to host a show about an interesting part of the city that is not about one particular neighborhood. It could be one of our fine urban parks, a great museum, the history of our transit system, the city in the time of a particular social or political movement or musical genre, or a, new, or excuse me, or a unique New York architectural phenomenon like Rockefeller Center. Each episode will be informative, entertaining, illuminating, and of course, fun. And each show will be available on archive and podcast the day after the show airs. Welcome to our second show. It's actually our first neighborhood show, and today we're going to highlight the Financial District, New York's first neighborhood. Our first guest is Phil Desieri of Walkabout New York. Phil is a licensed tour guide by the Department of Consumer Affairs, and he's a member of the Guides Association of New York City. Phil enjoys sharing his passion for the Big Apple with tourists and locals alike. Phil came to the tourist guiding profession following a 35-year career as a graphic designer and art director for publishing companies and in-house corporate graphics department. His walking tours focus on the art and architecture, the history and tales, and the quirky characters of the Big Apple. From the age of 10, Phil wanted to live in Greenwich Village, and for 39 years, he has lived, loved, laughed, and learned in this vibrant and colorful neighborhood. He likes the village because of its small town atmosphere, but big city style. With its irregular street plan, named streets, easy charm, and human scale, he finds the village comforting. And Phil, welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thanks, Jeff. When you uh, said ever since 10 years old you wanted to, to live in New York, where are you from originally? I'm originally from a small farming community, right? agricultural community in South Jersey. It's New Jersey, but it's not just over the river from <clears throat> New York City. It's over the river and down the New Jersey turnpike by three hours. It's a place called Vineland. And I grew up next to a chicken farm, and I still have memories of the coop cleaning days. <laughs> and that... Uh, <laughs> Once you smell that, it stays with you. Did your family have a farm, or did you were you working for another farm, uh, like as a, uh, a part-time job, like many of us had when we were growing up? Uh, no, my father was a, a businessman. He had a, uh, an electric motor repair company that uh, was located, our home and the business were located next to the, uh, the chicken farm, Newton's, Newton's Chicken Farm, yes. Well, I don't have as an illustrious uh, career as you do, but for a week I spent on a Moshav in Israel, and uh, my host uh, had the chicken coop, so every day. <laughs> but thankfully for just a week, I would clean it out and carry 50-kilogram bags of feed. Um, didn't do it that long. Um, when did you come to New York? I moved to New York on January 6th of 1980. I have it pinpointed. Well, happy uh, anniversary. It was uh, yes. 38 years ago. Yes, yes, it is. And did you come here specifically for a particular kind of job, or did you wind up in, in, in graphics and uh, an art direction after you arrived here? I <clears throat> wound up in that field after I got here. I had been working in that field uh, in Vineland, and I, it was an easily transferable skill that I brought with me to New York that was able to uh, provide a good living for uh, 33 years. Mm. So it wasn't that long ago, relatively. Let's see if you were here. been here for 39 years, a 35-year career. You've been in your present line of business for maybe five or six years? Yes, it'll be five years on April 1 when I launched my walking tour business on April 1, April Fool's Day. Many people did... Uh, the, send back emails asking if it was an April Fool's joke. <laughs> but no, it was not. Mm. 
So what was it that impassioned you about the history of the city that had you decide to do some to to uh, embrace it as as your livelihood and as something that you would that you would share with the people who would be your your clients and your customers? It's such a rich and deep history that I I'm drawn to, like I said, um, the many uh, the characters the. Uh, the art and the architecture that's all around us, these wonderful stories of uh, people who've lived here in the past. Uh, I, I really feel it uh, very, very deeply that these, uh, these uh, places, people are, are, are really alive for me. I, I feel as if uh, I, I almost know them. So uh, I want to share that with the uh, visitors, both uh, from parts of the U.S., from overseas. I've had people on my tours from, uh, and this really surprised me, from Taiwan. It was a husband and wife, and the wife did not speak English. The husband would translate for her. I would say my bit about this and that, and the, the husband would translate it into uh, Chinese. Uh, so, uh, And then the local locals as well, people who uh, become tourists within their own city. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> when we first spoke uh, about uh, you uh, appearing on Rediscovering New York, you mentioned that the financial district was one of the places that you were uh, among the most passionate about. What What is it about the downtown and the financial district that really embodies uh, a very big desire for you to, to know its history and to share its history with people? Because that's where New York began. New York began in... Uh, lower Manhattan in at the tip of the island uh, as New Amsterdam and the Dutch heritage moves right up into the 20th century with one of our most famous presidents uh, Franklin Roosevelt and his wife um, Eleanor she was a native New Yorker both of them and uh, that coming from that uh, history that background of the Dutch founding uh, New Amsterdam and uh, bringing it right up to the present where you can uh, see and feel those things and to know that uh, the island has expanded so much through landfill. When I point that out to people through uh, maps that show how it's expanded, people are, are, they just, uh, they don't believe it. So I think that the settlement first started like 1625, 1626, 1624 like was when it uh, began. And there is a, is a wonderful 3D map in uh, Peter Minuet Park, which is directly across from the Staten Island Ferry Terminal. And it's a, a, a bronze map that shows uh, Fort Amsterdam. And it shows a windmill and it shows canals that the Dutch uh, dug uh, in Lower Manhattan. Broad Street was a canal that the Dutch had created. They must have been homesick for their windmills and their canals. And uh, so Broad Street, when it was filled in by the English, uh, was originally a canal. And the windmill that's on that 3D bronze map is uh, that spot is now where there's a flagstaff, and that flagstaff is uh, called the Netherlands um, Memorial Monuments, uh, marking the 300th anniversary in uh, 1924 uh, of the uh, when the Dutch uh, settled in uh, in Manhattan or Manhattan, as the Native Americans called it. When the Dutch, when the, when did the financial district start to become not just the city, but a neighborhood of a growing city? When did, when did the city start uh, moving north from Wall Street, which was the, the, really the limit of the, of the town in the early days? The wall that gave Wall Street its name was demolished in 1697, and that's when the um, the Church of England granted uh, Trinity Church its uh, property, and Trinity Church began moving up the west side of the island. Uh, it still owns a good deal of that property from its uh, base at uh, 
Wall Street and Broadway all the way up into Greenwich Village. Uh, Greenwich Village was a separate village and it was settled by the Dutch. It was a place where the Dutch were growing tobacco because the Indians, uh, the Native American Indians living there, had uh, been growing tobacco. And that area was divided into farmland. So <clears throat> as, a, as a city, though, it began slowly to move up the island uh, in the early uh, 1800s. When did the financial district really become a, a center, not just of commerce, but of finance, of, of a capital and of a stock exchange? When, when did that start materializing? As we know it today, I would say, uh, I'd say probably in the 1920s that it really began to take off. But uh, it had been, well, the ticker tapes parade, actually the ticker tape parade, the first ticker tape parade uh, was uh, created uh, for, was held for the dedication of the Statue of Liberty. So there were ticker tape uh, parades uh, since then. And the ticker tape uh, was part of how the financial industry communicated those stocks. So it had been around for since the uh, late or uh, mid um, 1800s. Mm. Going back a little bit, when did the financial district um, cease to become a place where a lot of people lived and was mostly a center of commerce and finance? Because people lived downtown originally. Oh, yes. And then in the, uh, in the New York that I grew up in in the 60s, and you know, no, uh, nobody lived in Wall yeah. Street. It was, yeah. it, it, was completely financially yeah. serv- it was completely financial services related. Yes. It, uh, and now it's becoming much more um, uh, residential. Many of the buildings, including number one, Wall Street, is being converted into a residential building. But uh, when it uh, began its, uh, the migration, I would say in the uh, 18, uh, late 1820s, there were uh, plagues of uh, cholera and yellow fever that forced people out of uh, the financial district, what we call the financial district, or New York, and they all went to, or those who could afford it, they went to Greenwich Village. And um, Bank Street, for example, in Greenwich Village gets its name because the uh, Bank of New York located its um, headquarters there, or what, on what the property that would eventually become Bank Street. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Phil Desieri of Walkabout New York. Uh, Phil's website is walkaboutnewyork.com. Uh, there are lots of fun tours on there, and you can uh, look at them and register for them and take part in them. And we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Who do you want to connect with? Are you an entrepreneur or intrapreneur looking to build your following? Welcome to our show. Follow Me Friday with Joan and Priya. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern on talkradio.nyc. We're We're your digital connectors. connectors. Woo woo! (laughs) (laughs) Talking Alternative Radio. 24 hours a day.
Hello, everyone. We're back with Rediscovering New York, Financial District, New York's first neighborhood. And our guest is Phil Desier of Walkabout New York. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, when did the Financial District, Phil, begin to become a place where people lived again? Uh, now, um, the South Street Seaport, people had lived there anyway over the years, right? It wasn't completely non-residential. Uh, there have been pockets of... Uh, residential uh, buildings in the financial district. People never stopped living there. It's the matter of the numbers. And uh, I would say when people returned in uh, greater numbers, the late 80s and beginning in the 90s, slowly uh, lofts began to be converted into a residential um, residential use. And, and now, uh, in the last uh, 10, 15 years, the conversion of historically uh, office space, historic office space, such as the tower on the Woolworth Building, and I mentioned earlier the One Wall Street, which were both uh, built as office space, office buildings, one wall being the headquarters of the Bank of New York. Yes. Some extraordinary, beautiful interiors. On oh, yeah, beautiful. Um, Hildreth Meyer um, created many of the interiors at One Wall Street with the mosaics uh, that are just, uh, just beautiful. And uh, so uh, I would say within the last 10 to 15 years, that has ramped up uh, tremendously. Of course, you have a lot of new construction, but you also have the conversion of what had been office buildings. Mm-hmm. You know, 99 John Street, uh, on Wall Street, uh, building on Pine Street. Uh, I often wonder how long some of these buildings are going to continue to be office buildings and they're not going to um, move the jobs out to somewhere where real estate is cheaper in the, you know, in the suburbs or the outer boroughs. The outer boroughs um, are building uh, both office space and the uh, conversions there in Brooklyn and in Queens, and then the new community at uh, Hudson Yards, both residential and commercial towers going up there. So when did we begin to see the elements of the financial district as a, res- as a, res- as a residential area that we know today? with uh, more restaurants, more bars, more retail spaces. Actually, even uh, when it was strictly business, there were always uh, retail outlets, usually cheaper things, places like shoes. I used to buy shoes down at Rector Place until it went out of business, uh, I think, two years ago. Uh, I forgot the name of it. But uh, uh, when, when, did the, when did the financial district begin to get more uh, consumer-friendly, more, m- more fun, m- more uh, of a place where people wanted to be and wanted to hang out. Uh, I think the push for that really began after uh, 9-11 in order to revitalize the neighborhood because of the tragedy. There was an emphasis on trying to attract uh, people uh, for, uh, to live there and Along with living, they need services such as restaurants and places to shop for everyday items. And uh, I, I would say that after after the 9-11 tragedy, that was really a big push to mm. revitalize the neighborhood. Are you still seeing changes to the neighborhood now as, as the years go on? Uh, oh, yes. The uh, World Trade Center, I, uh, <clears throat> it has affected... The, the neighborhood uh, greatly, and I absolutely love the, the oculus that uh, Santiago Calatrava designed, a uh, work of art that uh, I always tell my uh, tour guests that it's, it's a wonderful piece of architecture, and it's too bad that it's just a shopping mall. And they spent $4 billion on it. $4 billion like for a shopping mall. Well, it is a, also a transportation hub with the PATH train there and the number of uh, subway lines that do uh, connect to that. But um, essentially, it's a shopping mall. But shortly after they opened it, they shut it down. Well, they shut you know, some of it down, I remember. And uh, uh, I think now the PATH is closed on the weekends at the World Trade Center. They're going to be upgrading tunnels or some such thing. I don't know. Uh, uh, 
uh, that I'm not uh, I'm not familiar with that, but uh, people are. Uh, my guests on tours are always uh, blown away by those whale ribs over the path section of the uh, of the oculus and uh, people who come from different parts of the country that don't have such things just cannot believe it and I always wonder why it's painted white I always hope that there's a good budget for cleaning and maintaining that a sparkling white facade. You know, one thing we kind of skirted over, we went uh, uh, to the early 19th century. Um, what was what's now the financial, financial district like around the time of the revolution? Uh, and it was where everyone lived and the, uh, where City Hall is today was the commons where people traded their cows and gathered for... Uh, to hear ye, hear ye, the Declaration of Independence was read in the wall in the uh, city hall area uh, that we call city hall today. And after that, after the reading of the Declaration of Independence, the uh, members of the Sons of Liberty marched down to what is now Bowling Green, and they pulled down a statue of George III that was in the center of Bowling Green. The story that I enjoy telling on my tours of uh, downtown Manhattan. And did they melt it into cannon shot? Uh, they <laughs> did. Uh, th- uh, they also chopped off its head, uh, the statue's head of George III, and they paraded that around the neighborhood, around town, around New York. Mm, as if they had cut off his head and put it on a pike outside the tower once yes. upon a time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. And um, also, that fence that sur- currently surrounds. Uh, Bowling Green, that uh, is the oldest artifact uh, still standing, dating from uh, 1773. And there used to be crowns on top of the posts of that fence, and they too were hacked off when the statue of George III was pulled down. Bits and pieces of that statue are in the collection of the New York Historical Society and the Museum of the City of New York. Oh wow, I didn't know that. So yes. you still could see a little bit of um, yeah. uh, of 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 Britannia here somewhere, yeah. although in the remnants of it. Right? Uh, isn't there a a, a crest or a, uh, not a coat of arms, but some kind of a crest that dates back to before 1776 in St. Paul's Chapel down on uh, uh, Vesey hmm. Street? I, um, maybe I'm not remembering exactly, but there is some beautiful wood. Uh, piece that's carved mm. and that's painted? That I don't know. I know there is one of the very first depictions, uh, it's a painting, depictions of the eagle as the symbol of New York City that's hanging in St. Paul's Chapel. St. Paul's Chapel is one of the, is the oldest continuously operating houses of worship in the city, dating from colonial era of 1766, 10 years before the Declaration of Independence was declared. And those chandeliers, the crystal chandeliers in St. Paul's Chapel are Waterford crystals dating from 1766. It's earned the reputation as the little chapel that stood because not a pane of glass was broken when the Twin Towers collapsed and it sits directly across the street from the World Trade Center complex. That was almost a miracle that that the uh, one of the oldest buildings in the city was uh, was not lost in that yeah. horrible tragedy. Yeah, um, and also St. Paul's Chapel was used as a place for rest and refuge by by many of the first responders. Oh yeah, there's an estimated half a million hot meals were served to those men and women who worked on what was called the pile or ground zero. And uh, yes, you're right. They slept there. They cleaned up there. Then back out onto the pile they went. Uh, Trinity Church is only four blocks away, and St. Paul's Chapel was within the parish. Why did the church, why did the parish build St. Paul's Chapel? It was called a chapel of convenience. If you didn't want to walk all those four blocks, you could attend services at St. Paul's. Uh, I call it the lazy chapel. It's only a four-block distance, as you mentioned, but um, <clears throat> you could attend the uh, your, your services and fulfill your obligation at St. Paul's. Uh, 
And of course, Trinity burned a few times in the present Twice. structure. Does it date from the 1840s, is it? Or? Yes, uh, it does date from the 1840s, designed by Richard Upjohn, the same man who designed uh, the Church of the Ascension in Greenwich Village. He was an ecclesiastical designer, and he has uh, several examples of his uh, works in New York, uh, one of them being... Uh, the uh, Church of uh, the Holy Communion, and that was converted into the limelight on 6th Avenue and 20th Street, deconsecrated, and then converted into the limelight. And now it's a sometime shopping mall with uh, markets and things. Right, yes, yes. yes. I think another it, incarnation. Briefly it was, or maybe it still is, a David Barton's gym. I think there was oh. some period where it served as a gym. <laughs> Parts of it, anyway. Whatever happened to the American Stock Exchange? I think they merged with the New York Stock Exchange. The building is still there with the sign that says um, New York Stock Exchange outside. It's on Trinity Place, uh, right opposite of Trinity Church on Trinity Place. But they they merged. One, uh, the New York Stock Exchange, I imagine, bought out uh, the American Stock Exchange. Mm. Of course, the history of New York, Alexander Hamilton is buried in the in uh, Trinity churchyard Church. of Trinity yes. Church. Yes, he is. It is a popular tourist spot. And one of the most prominent uh, monuments, grave markers, there, and his wife, Eliza, is also buried there right in front of him. And their son, Philip, is buried in Trinity Churchyard, although the exact location of his grave is not known because records uh, were burnt in a fire that uh, happened, as you mentioned, several times the church did uh, burn. And a little bit of trivia, I think, wasn't it one of Hamilton's sons that was the lawyer who represented uh, Burr's wife in the divorce? um, hmm, that, I, think, I don't know I all think, those details. Okay, yes, I think it was. I think it was. Uh, a little bit, not sordid history, but uh, uh, that was Betsy Jamel who uh, married Aaron Burr. Oh, right, and she has the Morris Jamel mansion yes. um, uptown. Oh, wonderful place. Which, by the way, some little historical trivia. Um, if you ask many people what the oldest building in Manhattan is, they will say St. Paul's Chapel. It's actually not. the old. It was, that was completed. Uh, ground was broken before... Uh, uh, the Morris Jamel Mansion, but the Morris Jamel Mansion, the first part of the house was completed in 1765, and St. Paul's Chapel was completed in 66, so it's mm. actually the second oldest building. Okay. Uh, and there's one other building that uh, predates the Revolution. Uh, it's the, the, the Jacob Rose House on Water Street, I think, in the seaport. Uh, hmm. There are three structures. Yeah, that I'm not familiar with. I do know, and it's always a very striking sight to see the... Uh, former Watson uh, Mansion on State Street next to the uh, ch- Church of the Our Lady of the Rosary, Ooh. surrounded by those uh, skyscrapers. Well, Phil, it's been great having you. Thank you so much for being on Rediscovering New York. Our first guest has been Phil Desiere, owner of Walkabout New York, and I can say I've actually been on a couple of Phil's tours myself. Very worthwhile. You can access them on walkaboutnewyork.com. Phil, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Jeff. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you like comic books and movies? How about TV and pop culture? Then you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Michael Dolce, host of Secrets of the Sire. Joined every week by my co-host, Hassan, Lord of the Radio Godwin. Together, we have over 15 years' experience creating graphic novels, screenplays, and more. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, talkradio.nyc. Uh,
Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. back. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark can be reached at 646-330-4735. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, handling trusts, estate planning, and probate administration. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Well, even though I'm a real estate broker, this is not a real estate show. It's about neighborhoods, but there is a really good real estate show. It's called Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco, my colleague from Halstead. You can hear it live on voiceamerica.com Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. and also, like us, available on podcast. You can like Rediscovering New York on Facebook. The name of the page, can you guess it, is Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. And you can follow me on Instagram at NYC. And if you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our show's mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. Well, it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest. Uh, Ronan Downs owns not one, not two, not three, not four, but five businesses in the financial district. Um, Ronan was born in Dublin, Ireland. He came to the United States in 1974 to attend SUNY at Oneonta on a soccer scholarship he was a four-year member of the men's soccer team and indeed was drafted by the New York Eagles of the American Soccer League and played for the Las Vegas Eagles. After completing his degree at Oneonta, Ronan made his way to New York City where he got his start in the hospitality business, first as a bartender at Dresner's on the Upper East Side. Since then, Ronan started his own businesses and opened multiple fine bars and restaurants in the city, most notably in the financial district and including and especially the Stone Street Tavern. Ronan and his partners were pioneer entrepreneurs when the Stone Street Historic District in Lower Manhattan was first made into a pedestrian street. Uh, on another note, Ronan has always been active in the Irish and Irish-American community and has initiated or participated in many charitable projects. He is currently on the advisory board for Self-Help Africa, an Anglo-Irish non-government organization whose mission is to eliminate poverty in Africa through sustainable farming, climate control, and microfinance. Welcome, Ronan. Welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you. So you're from Dublin. When did you decide that you wanted to come to the United States? Um, well, I was working for my father in an accounting firm in the 70s, and I wasn't that interested, and I wasn't that good at it. So, but I wasn't a bad soccer player, so I got an opportunity to come to, come to New York. I met uh, an American woman who gave me some information I wrote a very good letter, and they believed me. So I came over to visit the school. And uh, interestingly enough, when they asked about my transcripts, because they couldn't understand the, the, the papers that I'd sent them, as they were, they were written in Irish, they, uh, they couldn't understand what, whether I was eligible or not. But they said, we liked your letter. and. In turn, they invited me to join the college. Oh, well, uh, Irish have such a way with the English language. So, uh, well, I was lucky to get in. Yeah. When you came to the states to study, did you think you would settle here, or did you first just come to attend university, thinking you would you would go back to Ireland after your studies? Oh, I'd fully intended returning to Ireland, but <clears throat> as many people, um, when you come to the states. It grows on you in such a way, and it's difficult to leave, especially New York City. So uh, here I am, 44 years later. Ah. <laughs> and home, of course, is where the heart is and where you, you, you make your life. Uh, well, Oneonta was a little bit different from, from the big city. What was it like living, living up there? Um, well, it was very interesting. A beautiful part of the world, as if anybody has ever been upstate New York, and especially around Oneonta, um, it's a very beautiful part of the world, as, as I said, and the people are very friendly. Being a young Irish lad, living in a town, 
full of bars and many other activities there. It was, it, was a, it was a great place to be for the years that I spent. And thankfully, I'm still in, in contact with many of my friends who I went to school with. Oh, that's not great. O- not only the guys I played soccer with, but also some of the, the faculty from the school. And uh, I'm still involved. We do only onto reunions every year in Beckett's uh, the first, f- first Friday in January. We we have an alumni get together, and Beckett's is one of Ronan's businesses. Is Beckett's yeah. in the financial district? Or it is. It? It's on Stone Street. I should mention, though, I am involved in a few businesses on Stone Street. I've partners in each one of them. I'm not the only person. So um, some other Irish lads in there with me. Ah, as in the yeah. case of many businesses. Yeah. When you took your first bartender's job at, job at Dresner's, did you think you would ultimately go into the business? Uh. Well, <clears throat> I was actually just trying to stay alive at that stage. I was walking the streets of New York looking for a place to stay with no money. And I walked up and down the, the avenues. Uh, it's, it was a quite interesting time. And I, I didn't have many places I stopped in and gave my resume. Or not my resume, I just told them I was looking for work. We didn't have resumes in those days. And I was sent to Dresner's, and I think the interview lasted three minutes. And he said, come in on Sunday, and gave me a key and told me to lock up the store when I, when I was finished. Huh? So I worked there for five and a half years and have got some very dear friends from working in Dresner's. When did you open up the Stone Street Tavern? When did you and your partners... Uh, well, our it? first uh, business, myself and... Uh, two Irish fellas, we opened up Beckett's first. That was, uh, that was in 1995, 94 perhaps. And then we opened up Waterstone Grill across the way from it, mm-hmm. which, had a, which had an opening onto Stone Street, historic Stone Street as I call it now. And we which also was the first street that was paved in... Correct, correct. It's really, it's a... It's a gem of a street, and it's got such historical significance. So, um, but we went down to that area in 1994, I believe, and we opened up the first Beckett's, and that was open for nine years. There was a fire in the building in one of the offices above us, which put us out of, bu- put us out of business for two years. But we found a location across the street at 81 Pearl Street, which also was had an opening onto Stone Street at 48 Stone Street. So the, build, so the business went right through to Stone Street. And we've been there ever since. How did you and your partners in opening Beckett's dis- uh, pick the financial district? What was it about the neighborhood back then that had you decide that that's where you wanted to, to set up shop? I have to say there was a lot of luck involved. But one of my partners, um, a fellow called Eugene Devlin, found this, this space and... Um, we went to look at it. I didn't know why the hell we were going to open up a restaurant down there. I hadn't realized that 85 Broad was there, which is, was the home of, of Goldman Sachs. And it was the best thing ever that ever happened to us. <laughs> so um, again, <clears throat> some fabulous people I met in there. In fact, I met my wife. She worked in Goldman for 22 years. So by her coming into, by her coming into Beckett's, we, we got together and... We uh, were still together with two children. Stone Street now uh, is literally, no pun intended, paved from beginning to end with, with businesses similar to yours. What was the business landscape like when you first opened Beckett's? Were there a lot of businesses in, on the street? No, very few. One notable restaurant there was Harry's, and Harry's, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's Harry's still down there and, and doing very well. Um, that's Harry Pulakakis. Um, there was there were a few other restaurants, but very few. Um, and that was one of the good things for us, that we we, we were uh, we didn't have a lot of competition, so we did we did very well when we opened first, and then we opened up across the street, uh, a place called Waterstone Grill, where we did very well also. Which is now we changed that we we, we changed that uh, restaurant to uh, Route sixty six. It's an American restaurant, uh, American kitchen, a little bit of barbecue and American foods. So um, 
and we're, we're still there. What was Waterstone as far as cuisine-wise? What, what oh, that was very good. That was, um, we had uh, some s- American cuisine, essentially, some seafood. Uh, it was definitely looked a lot, lot different than, it was, it was novel at the time. We ha- our designer was uh, the wife of one of my partners. Her name is Neve Doyle, and she did a great job. Uh, the place looked fantastic, and it was a fun place to be in. You opened up at least one of your businesses, Ronan, at the time that Stone Street was turned into a strictly pedestrian street and traffic was was not allowed. When when did that happen? Yeah, that was um, that was in nineteen ninety nine, I believe. That's when we opened Waterstone Grill, and we didn't realize. Well, we did realize that at the time. We knew that that back this, the, the street behind us, Stone Street was going to get pedestrianized. Well, we believed it was going to. There was a visionary um, called uh, Goldman, Tony Goldman. Uh, he uh, was a very smart fella, and uh, he became a friend of mine. And he, he, uh, he, saw, he had the vision for that street. He and Harry were very, very uh, instrumental in making the street a pedestrianized street. Prior to it being pedestrianized, it was somewhat of a drug alley. And it was a place that you wouldn't want to be hanging out in, especially after dark. So major improvements on that street, I must say. Well, it does look different now than it did a long time ago. uh, It's more colorful. it's, It's more... Uh, active. It's. It seems the energy is also different now. I remember I used to go down there, not uh, in the mid '90s, but but maybe around the time of the World Trade Center uh, attack. Oh yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a different place from what it is now. How how did the street get pedestrianized? What what was the process that led to that? What got to that was I th- I believe again Tony Goldman um, and Harry, they worked on with the Downtown Alliance and saw a vision for the street. And uh, interesting, interestingly enough, this was prior to the attacks on 9-11. So, uh, but, but um, and, and knowing that, that is, again, was a great incentive for us from a business point of view. But it was a, a fantastic change for the whole neighborhood. Hmm. All right, uh, we're gonna take a short break and we'll continue our conversation with Ronan Downs in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talkingalternative.com We're back with Ronan Downs, uh, one of the owners of a number of businesses in Stone Street. I also want to mention that Ronan has um, business beyond the financial district. Uh, you now have a business in Kipps Bay. Oh, yes. We opened a place uh, a few weeks ago called The Factory. 
It's on 28th and 3rd. What is it that you like about the financial district, being owning a good number of businesses down there now? Yeah. What? Well, you know, um, having listened to Philip earlier, it kind of reinforced my whole, my whole love for Lower Manhattan and the history. Um, historical Stone Street is, I, when I walk on it, I often think of who walked there before me, going back the hundreds of years. So it's, uh, it's, it's quite riveting when you think of what, what went on in that area. Um, so I, I do love the history. Interestingly enough, again, um, referring to what Philip was speaking of and how revolutionary you Americans are. No wonder us Irish have been uh, around it as well. You got rid of the, the Brits from here. I dare say so inspired some, yeah. like uh, 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 the... Uh, the revolt in 1798, was it? Yeah. Uh, it was not long after our revolution. That's right, yeah. And that's actually where the name Vinegar Hill comes from in Brooklyn. Um, that, there you go. Uh, it was Interestingly, we're not talking about Dumbo and Vinegar Hill, but uh, while we're on the subject, uh, when Brooklyn was its own city and uh, the shipyards were not that far away and it was being developed by developers, uh, there were Irish immigrants and they thought, how do we get people to move in? Call it Vinegar Hill. That's, that's where, And that's what happened. Uh, has anything surprised you at all since you've been in business in the neighborhood about the neighborhood, the way it's evolved, the way it's changed? Uh, well, <clears throat> I guess we were, were all surprised at how technology has, has changed things and how people have uh, don't need to go to the office anymore. They work from home. We are finding that there are less corporate businesses operating in the financial district in recent years. Certainly, um, uh, there's definitely a move towards to maybe to Midtown as well and to other areas, but the, the financial district is not, we do not have all the businesses we, we used to have. We do have a lot more tourists though, and we do have a lot more residents, mm -hmm. which is a wonderful thing. I was going to ask you that uh, when you first opened, the bulk of your business must have been from people who work in the neighborhood. Oh, you very who much would so. come in and, and, and eat and drink after, after, oh, yeah. after five or six o'clock. Yeah, well, I, I would have worn a suit and tie to work every day. Today, I don't. And uh, because all the corporations around there required that their, their employees would, would dress accordingly with the suit and tie. Today, it's not necessary. Maybe even white shirts once upon a time, <laughs> not even wearing a collar. That's right. How do people find your businesses? Have you, have, do you, when you, when you talk to people, especially tourists, do they, uh, have they told you how they found you? Uh, um, well, I think primarily because it's a, such a historical area, they happen upon us. They, they're, they're walking the areas, walking the streets, and they, they will happen upon us. But we are, obviously, we, put, we, we have a website, and that does help us also. But of course, I'm speaking to you now, Jeff. You might help us by speaking on the radio here. Well, absolutely. I, the, uh, at, not just about uh, the Stone Street Tavern, Route 66, as yeah. well as Beckett's. Uh, there's another business that you just opened up. Uh, the, are you speaking of the factory? No, also uh, the cauldron. That's, uh, oh, the cauldron. Yeah. Well, the cauldron is, um, yes, it's a... It's a it's a wizard concept. It's a. It's it's got to do with old English mythology and uh, yeah, it's it's a quite an interesting place. It's it's an experience, and we're now opening up up a uh, cocktail bar downstairs and upstairs. You'll have the experience where you can make your own cocktails and you don a robe. Uh, quite quite interesting. Oh really? Wow. Yes. How long has the cauldron been open for? It's been open five months. Mm -hmm. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, yeah it's, a, it's a fun night. Ah. What inspired you to open the cauldron? What? Oh, well, <clears throat> we did that in, in collusion with, uh, well, I shouldn't use the word collusion. Collusion. <laughs> that's, that's a very bad word, excuse me. Excuse me. Laughter in, in, in the studio here. In conjunction <laughs> with, uh, with um, Matthew Cortland and... Uh, it's, um, it's been an interesting experience. 
I suppose it, it is. It is uh, Matthew's idea primarily. Ah, of talking about collusion at the cauldron, we could also yeah. call it a witch hunt. You know, pun intended. Uh, <laughs> have you spent time there yourself at the cauldron and en- enjoyed some of the? Oh, I have. Yeah, I've had yeah. a few cocktails there. Uh-huh. It's been wonderful. It has been wonderful. Uh, have you experienced any unexpected situations with with uh, some patrons who've come in, like surprising situations? And I don't don't mean people just uh, getting on the piss too much, but uh, just uh, in, in any of the restaurants. Yes, yeah, so yeah, the oh, bar. Oh yeah, yeah, you, you do on occasions, but I must say, for the most part, people are very pleasant, well behaved. You're going to get the occasional guy who shouldn't be in the place, and sometimes it, you only find that out when it's too late. Hmm. But uh, these things happen in, in the in the bar business. But, but overall, Stone Street is a little different than the average uh, street. It's uh, it's a it's a pre it's 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 people are pretty relaxed on Stone Street, and they can bounce from bar to bar. There are many bars there. There are our bars. There's also Ulysses. There's also Mad Dog and Beans, a fabulous Mexican restaurant there. And uh, there's the Growler. Um, we have the Dubliner as well. There's a few, a lot of great bars on Stone Street. So when I w- speak of Stone Street, I think it's an experience that people should come down and walk the street and try the, try the different restaurants and bars on it. As someone who's been there for in business for for more than twenty years, do do you think that the atmosphere and environment on Stone Street uh, has uh, helped to develop and even transform the neighborhood into into what it is now? Very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much so, it's, uh, after, especially after 9-11, when people were afraid to come downtown for different reasons. Uh, Stone Street, I think it was uh, a mainstay in the area, and people looked to it. We never closed. We always stayed open. Mm. And uh, <coughs> places have come and gone. But Stone Street essentially has, has just gone from strength to strength. Uh, without giving away any of your, your your secrets or your plans in detail, do you do you anticipate that you might open up up some more businesses down in the financial district, Ronan? That's not the plan. No, for now that's not the plan. And uh, truthfully, there's a lot of people moved in after Sandy. We didn't speak of Sandy, but Sandy was probably the most difficult period for us. And I would think that a lot of businesses may. I've had the same experience insofar as we are still trying to catch up from Sandy. Did businesses in Stone Street get flooded? Was it the, the, the basements got flooded. We were out of business for a few weeks, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was all the large businesses in the neighborhood were out of business for a year or two years. Some business never returned. When the salt water came in and destroyed the engineering works of the, in the basements. The elevators couldn't work, the, the computers weren't working, the phones weren't working, so they were all out of business and we did not have any customers. Mm. Well, I shouldn't say we didn't have any, we had m- uh, fewer customers. So, uh, and all the talk of doing, uh, helping the local businesses never came through. They never helped any of the local. No, well, I'm speaking for Stone Street. Mm-hmm. We were not helped by the by the city or the state. So you had to pull through all on your own. It was very difficult. Mm. Yeah, and, and moreover, as I did say, a lot of businesses did not return. They found place in in New Jersey, maybe the West Side, and they also probably found that they didn't need to come into work. They could work from home. So. The the uh, landscape has changed so much since since Sandy. Hmm. Well, for those of you who've not had the pleasure of going uh, to Stone Street, it's it, it's not easy to find, but it's a charming place. It's in in the financial district, nestled between Broad Street and William Street, I think, isn't it? Yes, that 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 stretch, and it's charming. You almost feel like you're in another place when you're there. It's, it's certainly some a place that uh, people visiting New York should see. Historical Stone Street, as I say. Yeah. Do you have any uh, thoughts about how the, the neighborhood might continue to develop in the next five years or so, in terms of its energy, its feel? I, I think there's no stopping New York. It's just become stronger uh, year by year. And, and the development in Lower Manhattan is a great thing for the city because they're not selling anything other than 
reality and the, and his, the history of of the area. There's so much so much to to, sh- to see in Lower Manhattan that has historical significance. We get a lot of European tourists and tourists who, who are interested in the history of New York who come downtown. Mm. So it's a great place to bring tour groups, families. And of course, the financial district is the first neighborhood in one of the oldest cities in the United States. New York is one of the oldest cities in the United States. Well, Ronan, thank you so much for, for joining us today. We've Th- been speaking with Ronan Downs. Thank Sorry. you. Thank you very much. Oh, our pleasure, indeed. We've been speaking with Ronan Downs. Ronan is a business pioneer in the financial district. He and his partners have started a number of businesses, including Beckett's, uh, Stone Street Tavern, Route 66 now, and The Cauldron, which I have to get to. Uh, if you have any comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on the show's mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook and also follow us, uh, follow us on Instagram at jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategists at Freedom Mortgage, and the law offices of Thomas Siaka, handling trusts, estate planning, and probate administration. And also our chief sponsor, who's me. I'm a real estate agent at Halstead, and whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, I and my team provide our clients with the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. You can reach us at 646-306-4761. And stay tuned for At Home with David Tiergartner. It's up next. Our producer is Ralph Storyar. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. And thanks to our special consultant, David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. you like comic books and movies? How about TV and pop culture? Then you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Michael Dolce, host of Secrets of the Sire. Joined every week by my co-host, Hassan, Lord of the Radio Godwin. Together, we have over 15 years' experience creating graphic novels, screenplays, and more. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, talkradio.nyc. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.